Let's turn in our Bibles to James chapter 3. James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And we're talking about the tongue or tongue taming. Now, anyone that is speaking in front of a group of people, you know, I'm probably in the most peril because I say the most words publicly before a group of people. And I remember a moment in a sermon speaking about the Feast of Tabernacles. Well, the Feast of Tabernacles is also called the Feast of Booths, but I pronounced it the Feast of Booze. Now, I was reminded about that for the next five years, about that one missed word. And how easy that can become. I'm just giving you a funny illustration. I was easily corrected. Didn't mean to pronounce that, but words have impact. Even words that you don't intend to say have an impact. This, in this case, a silly impact, but often our words have an impact. And actually, words are probably some of the most powerful the most powerful things in the world. And I would actually say the word, right, words are. And we'll look at that as we go through this text this morning. But let's go to James chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, They are steered by a small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil. Among the parts of the body, it corrupts the whole person sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives? Or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you 
by your Spirit, would direct us into all truth. And we know that there is not a single perfect man here, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And yet we know that your Spirit is here among us to teach us, to rebuke us, to correct us, and to train us up in righteousness so that we, men and women of the Lord Jesus Christ, would be fully equipped for every good work, the work, even the work of the tongue. Oh, Father, hear the prayers of your people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Like I was saying, James has talked about the tongue previously, hasn't he? This isn't the first time he has talked about the tongue. He talked about we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. He's talking about speech there, the tongue. And then in chapter 1, verse 26, he says, If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Didn't James just say the tongue is untamable? We have an untamable tongue? And yet he's instructing in chapter 1 that we need to have a tight rein over our tongue. We need to have a tame tongue. But here he says it's untamable. How do we understand that? How do we understand what he is teaching about the tongue? Because it does seem to be a theme. Almost to every chapter he addresses speech or the tongue. Because the tongue has a great power, doesn't it? Your words have great power in the lives of your children. Your words, some of you have, can hear right now things that you have said and you wish you had never said. And they have set part of your life on fire. But you can't take them back, can you? This is very practical in the 21st century, just like it was in the first century, isn't it? This tongue of ours. But really it's words, isn't it? Tongue is really speaking about words, our words, which I think is helpful right away. When we think of words, we know where do the words begin? They begin in our thinking. Most of us, when we think, we think in words, not images. We think in words. And then those words come out of our mouth. That is what James is speaking of, this idea of the tongue. It's not just things we only say in our mouths, but also things that we can think because to speak means to think. And of course, his first warning goes to those who use their tongue the most in the church, which is the teachers, isn't it? It's the pastors, the preachers. That's where his warning first comes down from on high. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. You notice that James is placing himself in the same pot as all other teachers, right? He is placing himself in the same pot with every other teacher, and he's saying we will be judged more harshly because we have been given a great charge by the living God. Now, we know this when we go to the other parts of Scripture. You go to the Old Covenant. 
the Old Testament in the book of Ezekiel, and there's a man named Ezekiel who is called. He's from a priestly caste. He's probably about 30 years old. Some of us are, some of the men in the men's Bible study are studying the life of Ezekiel, and it says this. God gives a warning to Ezekiel, and he says, son of man, that is what Ezekiel is called most in the book of Ezekiel, is called son of man, to remind him of his, really his earthiness. Not his messiahship at all, but his earthiness. And he says, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. You are my mouthpiece, right? You are to speak my word. Not to be silent. You're the watchman on the tower. And when danger is coming, you cannot be silent. You must speak. Now is the time to speak because the enemy is at the gate. Literally, the enemy is actually at the gate, ready to sack the city of Jerusalem. And he is to be the herald, the watchman on the tower. When I say to a wicked man, you will surely die, and you do not warn him or speak out to dissuade him from his evil ways in order to save his life, that wicked man will die for his sin. And I will hold you accountable for his blood. Wow. I will hold you accountable for his blood, Ezekiel. If you stay silent, judgment's coming on you. Because you don't have a choice. You're my herald. You're my watchman. You're my prophet. And you speak my word, not your illustrations but you speak my word to my people to call them to what? Repentance. That's right. Almost all judgment in the Old Testament, if you don't read it in light of God calling people to repentance, you did not read it right. It's called to repentance. And actually later on in chapter 18, it says, repent and live because God does not delight in the death of anyone. It's what the prophet Ezekiel preached as he was preaching God's Word. And so, I think it is very important as you hear people from any pulpit, are they preaching the Word of God? Are they rooting their argument in the Word of God? Are they drawing you to the Word of God to listen to the voice of God? And, and believing it is the power of God. In this book is the power of God unto salvation because in it you find the gospel of Jesus Christ. My stories are illustrations, but they're nothing if they're not rooted in the Word of God. They're just a story. They're just an illustration. Actually, James uses many similes, doesn't he? And a metaphor. But those are to root people to God, right? Into God's Word that they might know God and obey God, love God and serve God all the days of their life. And it's very clear that church leaders will give an account, isn't it? Not only here in James, but in Hebrews chapter 13. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. As men who must give an account. The Apostle Paul was very concerned about this, wasn't he? Because he reminded the elders at Miletus, when he, the elders from Ephesus, Ephesus at Miletus, that I did not in any way shrink from proclaiming to you the whole counsel of God. Right? In your homes, in Tyrannus Hall, I was in your place. I was in your houses. I was, I was in the church, and I did not refrain from teaching the whole counsel of God. 
because he knew he would give an account. He's the apostle to the Gentiles. He's not there to preach himself. He's there to preach Christ and him crucified. And that's what the preacher's for, to preach Christ and him crucified, to preach the power of his resurrection, to preach the wonder of the inheritance that we have in Christ Jesus, but not to teach, preach stories to tickle your ears because that's the cultural moment we're in. The preacher is bound to be a herald of the word and not himself. A herald of Christ and his kingdom. Like John the Baptist, repent for the kingdom of heaven is, is at hand. Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Same, right? The preparatory prophet and Jesus Christ himself. But just so that we don't miss this piece, it's not only preachers that will be held accountable for every word that comes from their mouth, it's you too. You, not just preachers. For I know one thing, that all of you are called to be ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Ambassadors do what? They speak the will of the nation in which they represent. You are to be ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that he continues on in verse, as he goes further in verse 2, we all stumble in many ways. He's speaking of teachers, but now he's actually speaking of the rest of the church in, that he's writing to. And if anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is perfect. He's a perfect man and able to keep his whole body in check. Is there any perfect men here? Have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? Yes! That's why he can say we all stumble in many ways. And then listen to what Jesus says. He says, but I tell you, this is Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, but I tell you, men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word that they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. There is one time to die, and then the judgment good to hear the sobering words of Jesus in regards to our speech, isn't it? I know I need to hear that. I need to hear that rebuke. I need to hear that correction because I know that God's speaking to me that in that way so that I might be trained up in righteousness, right? So that I would be fully equipped for every good work. That's why he spoke. So our words... Are powerful. They're important. What you say is important. And we will be held accountable for every word. That's sober. For a guy that talks too much, I'm talking about myself now, that's pretty sobering. Some of you don't talk that much, but you talk a lot in your head, don't you? What have you said in your head? That's not pretty, is it? What you've said in your head is a heck of a lot worse than what came out of your mouth. Because it's about words, not just about this tongue, this instrument in my mouth and my lips, but it's the words. And they, those words have an oversized power, don't they? I'll give you an example of an oversized power that probably changed the rest of my life. I've spoken it before, but it, it was words. 
I'll never forget the words. My memory can't get rid of them. They're probably the most hurtful words I've ever heard in my entire life. And it was Sunday morning, and it was beautiful, sunny. We're getting ready for church. And my mom says to my father, I do not love you anymore. And my dad wants to die. You don't forget that. You think words have no power? That can set your life on fire. The word is someone else. Your word can set other people's lives on fire. That changed my entire life. Those words. That's oversized, isn't it? That one moment. My mom had did so many other things, but I remember that one moment so powerfully, so vividly. She had said so many other things than that, so many other encouraging things than that, but that's the one thing I remember. The oversized power of the tongue. You know, many kings and potentates, and in fact, even today, many leaders are afraid of what? What are they afraid of? Words, aren't they? You know, Mary, Queen of Scots, had a, an antagonist. She hated his guts. You know him as John Knox. John Knox was one wonderful preacher. He could preach all the day long. And she said, I fear him more than 10,000 soldiers on the march. Why? Because his words had the ability of changing a whole nation and directing them away from her and her leadership and her reign. Words. He didn't have an army. John Knox never had an army. In fact, he had to leave and flee for his life to Geneva. But she was afraid of that man, of words. And how many of the great leaders can you hear and their speeches and how those speeches changed history? And they didn't throw a bomb or they didn't shoot a bullet or they didn't show their brawn. It was simply through the power of words. And you see that illustration here. The bit has a way of turning the horse any way you want. The rudder, these large ships, 300 to 400 metric tons of cargo can be turned by that little rudder in the ancient world. That's what James is speaking of. The similes and the spark, right? It just takes a spark, one lightning strike, and you can light a whole entire ranger district on fire and a couple weeks later, 250,000 acres are gone just by one lightning strike, by one spark. These are wonderful illustrations because they speak of the power of the tongue. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts, doesn't it? It is oversized. And we can go to the beginning of the story. I think it's important for us to go to the beginning of the story of our story which is the story of God. And what did God do in the beginning? God said, let there be light. He spoke words. And light came into existence. Sky, sea came into existence. Land, moon, star, and suns. Birds and fish and land animals. Everything found its existence because God spoke words. From nothing, 
He created all things by the power of his word. And there was another man. What did they call him? The word that was made flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus Christ. Was he a military commander, our Lord Jesus? No. Did he have a big following, in fact? Not really. Did, were all of them there at the end cheering him on? No, they were saying crucify him, crucify him. And yet the word made flesh has changed the very course of history. 2,000 years later, look at that. We're still meditating upon what he said, upon his life, upon his life-giving power, upon his resurrection, upon his cross, upon his person, the word. Words are oversized in their power, aren't they? For good, and as we see here in the text, for evil. And what is the source of the tongue's evil? What is the source of the tongue's evil? Is it the tongue itself, the biological instrument, and the voice box, and, and the lips, and, and the tissue? What is the source of its evil? Because, I mean, he... He just lays it out, doesn't he? Consider what a great force is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is set itself set on fire by hell. Now, James is making some boasts there, isn't he? He's making some assertions about the power of the tongue. But where does that power begin? Where does it begin, brothers, sisters? In the heart, doesn't it? It's from the heart that the mouth speaks, as Jesus said. James even said, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition, much of that is thought through words in your mind or in your heart. In your hearts. Isn't that interesting? He says, in your hearts. Do not boast about it. Or deny the truth. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 33, make a, good, make a tree good and its fruits will be good. It's again connecting what we looked at last week. Or make a tree bad and its fruits will be bad. For a tree is recognized by his fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. And what's James' argument here? It's a potentiality of evil, isn't it? What our hearts can do in the lives of others around us, in the lives of fellow brothers and sisters. Our words cut like a knife. Like gutting it. You know, when you gut a deer, right? It's a horrible thing, but words do far more than that. And he's clear, it's evil, isn't it? I just, he, he doesn't mince any words. It's a world of evil, a circle of evil, a whole lifestyle of evil. This heart of ours that spews out such things as I don't love you anymore. What would you say this morning? 
What you say this morning to people you love? What you say to your parents? What you think about your parents? What you say to your husband or your wife? Because these words can be so ugly, can't they? In fact, since they emanate from the heart, right? These words, he says they're set on fire by hell. He's speaking about judgment, isn't he? He's speaking about final judgment. How is it that your heart condemns you? How is it that your heart condemns you? Sin, right? Your own evil. So apart from Jesus Christ, sacrificial death, and you're trusting in him and being born again, you are under the condemnation of who? Of God. And those words that you spoke that emanated from your heart condemn you before the Almighty. You're guilty. But James is speaking from the reality to the church. But you have been bought and paid for in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. How could it be that you're using your tongues in such a way to destroy each other and make much of yourself? Isn't that what's happening in the church here? People are making a lot of themselves. They're boasting about themselves. They're trumping themselves up. No, yeah, no pun intended about Trump, you know. Now he does the same thing. Makes much of himself. Boasts a lot. Has no place in the church, does it? None. It's a deadly evil. And will experience judgment on the last day. And then I think you come to the most troubling part of the text about this understanding of taming in verse 8. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil. It's like it's a never-ending evil. We don't see ourselves like that, do, do we? Because usually you judge yourself by a different standard than God, by what God judges you, which is his perfect righteousness, the righteousness that actually Isaiah experienced in his holy presence. But here he says it's an untamable tongue. You can't tame the tongue, this restless evil, this deadly poison. And with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and we curse men. Ever that happened to you? You come out of church praising God, saying, God's awesome. Uh, we have an awesome God. And you go out these doors, and amazingly, you're talking about other people, and not in a way to build them up, but what irritates you about that person. Ha! Ah, happen? Anybody? 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 No one wants to raise their hand for that one, right? Because you've all done it. Guilty. Me. I don't, just me. I'll raise my hand. Guilty. You can be frustrated. For, and, and often it's superficial. It's not even substantive. So it keeps happening. We can see it in our own lives. And that's why maybe James, James is saying, no man can tame the tongue. And of course, this is a dismal diagnosis, isn't it? None of us can tame the tongue. You mean there's no hope for me to tame this restless evil that emanates from my heart? Is, is, there, is there no hope for me? Well, I don't think that's why he wrote it, did he? And we saw in the beginning of his epistle, clearly people can tame the tongue. But he's just giving us the reality of the dismal diagnosis of your heart and mine. And that, that, with that same tongue, we praise God, we, we espouse his greatness, and with that same tongue, I curse people. 
Shouldn't be, should it? Isn't that what James says? This shouldn't be. It shouldn't be that you do that. 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 Or it shouldn't be that I do that. That's weighty. But I believe when he's speaking behind the scenes, there's this ready remedy, isn't there? A ready remedy for the tongue, for your tongue and my tongue. A ready remedy. You know, Peter says this about the ready remedy, and he speaks the same kind of language, just a different way. He says, finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Right? That's our culture. We repay insult with insult. He says, do not repay insult with insult, but with blessing instead. Because to those of... To this you were called so that you might inherit a blessing. You were called to be like Christ and not give insult for insult because when he was insulted, he did not, or reviled, he did not revile back. So he, he's a, Peter's already pointing you to who? Jesus. I'm going to read the rest. For whoever would love life and see good days, must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Already you see here that even Peter says there's a remedy. There's a ready remedy. So what is the ready remedy for my unclean lips? I'll just go to Isaiah. I'm a man of unclean lips. What is the remedy? There's no book. I don't think there's a technique for this one either. It's simply Jesus, isn't it? It's, it's the Lord Jesus Christ is the ready remedy for my soul, for my unclean lips, for my untamable tongue. It's, it's Jesus, His deity, His power, His incarnation, His life, ministry, teaching, suffering, crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, constant intercession, and final return. That, that's a lot of Jesus, isn't it? All those different parts of His being, of His ministry. What do you need more than anything else to help tame the tongue? A lot more time with Jesus. I'm going to say just as simple as I can, you need to spend a lot more time with Jesus instead of sucking, basically sucking fuel out of the gas tank of the Word to poison your soul. Because that's what a lot of us are spending time doing, siphoning that which poisons us. And what we really need is more time with Christ more time at his feet, like John leaning upon his breast at the Lord's Supper. Like Peter in the boat, jumping off into the water and swimming to see him. Spending time with him, knowing the wonder that he's, he's interceding for me. He's actually interceding for me right now, constant intercession. And, and, and I have this eternal inheritance in him. I too will rise from the dead. As he rose, I will rise. That's who I am. I'm a resurrected man. I'm a redeemed man. I'm an everlasting man. I'm a crucified man. I died to sin and he rose me to new life. 
Isn't he the remedy? The word that became flesh. I mean, there's a lot of books out there and a lot of study guides. You know, we have more resources for devotion and we have less devotion in the church in the West than probably in an entire history. It's wild to think that because we don't need the devotionals. We need Christ. We don't need the special teachers. We need Christ. We don't need all the publications of books that use a lot of paper but very little of Christ. We simply just need Him. And of course, we have, we have His book. You have it in front of you in the pew. You have it on your lap. You have the book. That, and, and who's in you? This is called the sword of the Spirit, isn't it? And where is the Spirit? He's in you, sanctifying you over the long haul to tame this tongue and to tame my tongue in order that I might speak His name in such a way that will speak life into your name and to my wife's name and my children's name and in your children's name and grandchildren's name, speaking life from the living Word. And the ready remedy is constant prayer, isn't it? With thankfulness. First Thessalonians chapter 5, right? Verse 17 and 18. A constant presence. Constantly walking with Christ. You can do this throughout your work week. You can do this in your academic studies. But there really is no other remedy than Christ for my tongue. The more time I spend with Christ, I see that my tongue in fact, becomes far more tamed compared to what I was like when I was a new believer, when I had just started to run and I was full of cursings and cussings and didn't know how to use my tongue to help others. It changes over time. So if you're young, you got a ways to go, but you have one in you that can tame the tongue who never will leave you will not forsake you. Even when you have unclean lips, he does not leave. He does not abandon. And that's why this prayer in the Psalms can be yours. Help me, O Lord. If you have unclean lips, there's a prayer for you. In Psalm 141, set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch of the door of my lips. Let not my heart be drawn to what is evil. Help me, O Lord. Help me, O Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for the indwelling spirit to assist us, that ready remedy to point us to Christ in order that we would have our unclean lips turned to lips that speak life, that speak joy, that speak peace peace into the world. And may it begin right in our homes. May it begin in our marriages. May it begin how we speak to our parents and our brothers and sisters. May it begin as we speak to fellow students at school. May it begin with us. And so help us to tame the tongue. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.